we're all doing our our best to try to to do things online and uh, adapt. So if there's a little bit of bumps in the road, please uh, bear with us. What we're going to do for the call, and one of the things I, I do want to back up is TechConnects is uh, not a government-supported organization. We're member-driven, and um, we're very thankful for all of our sponsors, which ENY is a, a big sponsor who helps us support about 130 member companies here. So we do thank you for that. And uh, ENY is graciously offered to present here and we're picking some topics. We're gonna to try to do a couple of these each month. If you have any questions, and I know some people had tight questions when you registered um, between Marco and Fraser, we know a couple of them will be covered off within the presentation itself. And then a few of them they're going to get to as well and try to address them. If you have questions as things go along, I know they said they're gonna stop momentarily through the presentation to open it up. If you have questions that you can think of, if along the bottom you hit chat and you can send them to me, I will address them as we go along or when we come in. If we need clarification, we'll ask you to unmute yourself and then go from there. So with uh, no further ado, I'm gonna turn it over to Marco and Fraser. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, appreciate the introduction. Uh, so just to give a further uh, introduction of myself, um, so I'm a manager in EY's Valuation Modeling and Economics Group. Uh, I've been in the practice for almost five years with EY for uh, about eight. Uh, my back by background, uh, I'm a CPACA as well as a CBV, which is a Chartered Business Evaluator. Uh, so what do I do? I work on valuation engagements for, you know, large public multinational organizations as well as small private companies um, across a wide variety of industries like technology, uh, you know, big focus on technology. Uh, I also do work in mining, automotive, um, and, you know, we do valuations for various purposes. Um, I'll turn it over to Fraser. All right, thank you. And uh, thanks, Kelly. Um, so my name is Fraser Bull. I'm also a manager in the valuation and modeling practice with, and I work closely with Marco. Um, similar story, I work, I've worked in the valuation practice for almost two years now, and I've been with the firm for just over five. And so uh, I've worked on a variety of clients, different sectors, but I've always had a passion for the startup and the technology businesses. I grew up in Kitchener-Waterloo region, so that was kind of a, a big part of seeing the businesses and seeing the economy flourish there. So that's kind of how I forayed into technology and wanting to specialize into the tech industry. Thanks, Razor. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, what are we going to talk about today? So we'll talk a little bit about some of the features of various uh, early stage companies. Uh, we'll talk about this concept of uh, price versus value and what we mean by this is sure, you know, Fraser and I, we can uh, develop approaches to come up to a value, but, you know, the negotiated price in uh, a given transaction will likely ultimately end up being uh, a bit different. Uh, we'll touch upon some basic common valuation approaches to valuing businesses uh, and then also how this might apply uh, in early in an early stage concept. And, you know, we understand just by kind of seeing the, the companies that are coming today, you know, there's a wide range of companies and um, at various stages. Um, 
we'll talk about some recent financing trends uh, and also a little bit about investor presentation. So yes, we wanted to provide an intro uh, to valuations. Uh, we also wanted to talk about investor presentations and you know what investors typically wanna hear and see as this might become uh, very relevant for uh, some of you guys in the coming uh, months and years. Uh, so I'll turn it over to Fraser now, who will uh, talk a little bit about valuation theory. Uh, so we, there are three main phases of an early stage business. And we'll, I'll use the analogy of, um, of a plant here. So we first have the, the seed stage. This is where it's primarily an idea. Seed has been planted. Uh, the business is working towards approaching investors for capital and also working on developing a sound business model, uh, presentation pitch, and looking to raise capital. So the challenge here is that seed stage companies and are rarely valued. And the reason being is that it's very tough to place a valuation on an idea without um, tangible progress. And so the next stage is the, the startup. The seed has grown, but still no fruit. So you've developed the business a bit further. Uh, a prototype of, has been developed or possibly a beta version of the software or the app. The management team is beginning to assemble. So now you've expanded beyond just the, the owners and the initial founders to acquire some additional talent and help bring the product to fruition. And so now you're thinking about how the product will be not only produced, but also marketed and how you'll bring it to, how you'll bring it to the market. And so the last stage is the growth stage. So the growth is where the seed has, gone, has begun, the plant has uh, showing fruit now and you're re recognizing the, the fruits of your labor. So you have the management team assembled, you've acquired further talent, and now you're beginning to generate sales and revenue from your products or from your software. So here is where investor ca uh, sorry, venture capitalists prefer to invest at. The reason being is that you have progress and you've demonstrated the, the revenue stream, you've demonstrated that there's been some sales, you know, their, their initial sales, and so there's lower risk from a venture capital point of view. And so this is really where they want to get into. So if you want to think through your seed stage, you grow to your startup, and now at the growth stage, you're recognizing the fruits. And so this is one of the, the key takeaways for the presentation is that there really is a difference between price and value. And what I like to say is that value is the theory, whereas price is the reality and what's actually transacted at. And so the reason there can be differences between uh, price and value is because people may have different views or different knowledge of the asset or the entity. Um, can be different negotiating abilities. So for an example, you're, you believe your company is valued at $100, but you're going to negotiations with venture capitals who are getting pitched all day by several investors uh, or sorry, by several ventures, and they have a lot of options out there. So while you may be valued at 100, they're not willing to give you the money or the financing at that valuation. Maybe they're thinking a bit lower. So there can be some discrepancies there. Other reason is um, some companies may actually pay more than what you think the company is valued at. The reason being is there is possible synergies. For example, Google's thinking about acquiring your business. They're going to integrate your 
um, your Chrome add-in and it's going to be very extremely valuable to them more so than to other market participants or other potential buyers because it's an easy add-in to their program. Other reasons could be is uh, if, there's, if you're forced or compulsed to act, there will be a difference between price and value. And this is where uh, an example would be you're having liquidity issues. You might not be able to make uh, future payroll. You're looking at how can we get money fast. So you don't have a, a whole lot of negotiation or bargaining power, and you might be willing to accept uh, a price that is less than value. And so really what the, the chart here is showing is that the status quo value is at the bottom, but as you go up and you find a, call it a synergistic purchaser, someone who is willing to be able to apply the synergies, maybe the market efficiencies um, and other reasons of integration with your business is that'll be the highest value for your business. And so here's where we talk about how the price and, and value merge. So if you think of any negotiation process with your friends, uh, I know usually you can start off a little confrontational depending on your friendships, but mine will start with the seller and the buyer valuations and expectations. And we'll, we'll start at different ends. We'll have different biases about what we think the product is worth, what we think uh, me offering my chores or help around the house for them would be worth. And so we'll eventually come together and transact at a certain price. So the key point is to recognize that the buyers and the sellers will have possibly different valuations, different biases, and also uh, want to get out of the business at certain stages. So here's where we talk about valuation approaches and we'll keep it, we'll keep it high level. And so there are three methodologies or approaches, the market approach, income approach, and cost approach. And within those in the middle column there, there's different um, nuances or slightly different models that'll go into them. So comparable companies, sorry, the market approach, you'll look at comparable companies or comparable market transactions. And the idea being is that no buyer should pay more for an asset than what a comparable asset could be purchased for. So this could be looking at um, other software businesses in your, in your niche, in your environment and seeing what they've been valued at or seeing what sort of financing or funding they've received at, at what valuations. Uh, next up is the, the income approach. And here is really where the focus is on bringing back future cash flows and future earnings to a present time. So this one is for more established businesses that have a long-term forecast and that have a bit more demonstrated sales and revenue. Um, and so the idea being is that you want to earn a return on your investment. So you're thinking about your future cash flows and what sort of return you as the owner and a possible investor would want to receive. And the last one is the, uh, the cost approach. And so the, the premise here being is that a buyer would pay no more for them what it would cost to replicate or to, to duplicate either the product or the software. And so this really, this slide really ties in the, um, the stages of the, um, 
the stages of the business and also the methodologies to value them. So in typical startup and early stage valuations, we look at the cost approach and the market approach. So the cost approach is considering the cost to date that have been incurred for research and development, the cost of the patents, the prototypes, et cetera. And the, the idea being is that you wanna summarize all the costs that would to replicate or to, to duplicate the business and the, the product. And so the, the market approach can also be used. And so this would be a review of similar companies and or transactions. And so it's usually expressed as a, a multiple. And so when I say a multiple, we think of a value as the numerator and uh, a metric as a denominator. So for an example, I have enterprise value, which is how we call value to revenue. So you'd have enterprise as your numerator and revenue as your denominator. And so some examples I looked up this morning, uh, Salesforce right now is valued at 8.2 times revenue, which means that it's 2019 revenue. The business is valued at 8.2 times that, whereas Slack is 21 and a half. And so we're, we're using Zoom. So I thought it'd be a good example to bring up uh, the valuation has skyrocketed amidst the, the current situation and that a lot of people have been brought onto the software. I know, for example, my parents who are very technology savvy have recently downloaded Zoom so that we can have face-to-face -face time. Uh, so they're valued at 62 times uh, value to revenue. And then lastly, it'd be the income approach. And so the income approach is a bit more challenging for early stage companies. And the reason being is there's a lack of reliable data and forecasts. If the company's only been operating for um, a few years, uh, a few months, it's very challenging to, to consider the forecast reliable when there's not a demonstrated track record of, of achieving those forecasts. And so this is typically used for revenue generating companies that are a bit further along the life, life cycle stage. So I will, I'll pause there if anyone has any initial questions on uh, early stage valuations and different uh, phases of business. Yeah, I should have uh, mentioned at the beginning, uh, feel free to, you know, ask any questions at any time. We'll, you know, try to keep it as uh, open as possible. It's a little different than if we were in a room, but yeah, please feel free to ask questions at any time. Yeah, hi, it's uh, Dave here from Avedi. Um, So in terms of your two approaches, if you go back to the last slide, you've got your um, income approach and your market approach, but the point is your market approach is also a multiple on revenue, right? Uh, and so forth. And, and, and from previous webinars we, 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 I've been on uh, at TechMex, um, the challenge with valuation is often the intangibles, like how many users do you have? Um, what is your IP worth and so forth? And, and what is it worth to somebody? So, so the market approach, I suspect it's not just a multiple of revenue, but it's a lot of, a lot of other factors in there as well. Um, um, so, um, you know, and, and, I, and I guess that's where you guys come in in terms of doing research out there to see what other companies are selling for and so forth and to find out what the, uh, you know, market is for something similar. But 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 look at what you have right here. You're sort of indicating it's all based on revenue here, and and it can't be. There's other things as well. Yeah, I'll I'll chime in there, and then Fraser, feel free to add anything else. Yeah, I think I think this is just 
Uh, Fraser wants to show an example of, you know, market approach. Typically, if we're looking at uh, some earlier stage companies, they'll have revenue but not uh, earnings or EBITDA. So we'll look at, it's more likely that there be revenue multiples, but we also have seen instances where it might be a multiple of active users, uh, depending if there's, you know, users of the software. So I think revenue multiples were just one example, but there's certainly other bases to consider. And then, like you said, you know, the technology, the IP, the intangibles are uh, critical to some of these companies. So, um, you know, that the strength of those and the value of those will all kind of get factored into uh, the multiples selected if, you know, a market approach uh, makes sense. I, I see, but the multiples are still based on revenue, right? So, um, but anyway, I, I, I see your point. Um, but um, anyway, thank you. Not, not necessarily. I think that's what I was uh, trying to highlight. Like, revenue multiples are just one of the types of multiples that can be used. You can also use multiples of active users. You can use multiples of EBITDA. There's, there's other kind of multiple bases to work with beyond just revenue. Okay, thank you. No problem. Thanks, Marco. So I'll, uh, I'll let you talk about the financing trends. Yep. So, um, you know, we've pulled some analysis from, uh, it's, it's a Pepperdine cost of capital from uh, Pepperdine University. And so what that is, is um, it's, it's a comprehensive analysis of, uh, you know, major private capital market segments. And, and it's a publicly available uh, report or study. Um, so you could go and Google it and, and you'll find this um, uh, cost of capital survey. Uh, so it examines, it surveys and kind of examines, you know, behaviors of senior lenders, private equity groups, uh, venture capital firms, et cetera. Uh, and so for each segment or private capital segment, uh, it analyzes various things, um, you know, important benchmarks that must be met in order to qualify for capital. Uh, how much capital is typically accessible, what required returns are, um, outlooks and demand for various capital types, uh, interest rates, etc. Uh, so what this, uh, um, what this slide is showing is uh, the median required rates of returns based off of um, those surveys of various lenders groups. So on one end you have uh, bank rates which are at the lower end of the required rate of return um, and, and, you know, obviously it'll vary depending on the company that it's being lended to, but, you know, kind of, it, it averages out to around the five and 6% range. In the middle, you have more mezzanine debt, which is uh, a hybrid of debt and equity. And those are in the middle of the required returns around 13 to 15%. And then at the high end, you know, you have your private equity, your venture capital, your angel investors that are typically uh, looking for returns in the uh, 20 to 40% range. Uh, a couple other points on this, so we just wanted to highlight, you know, rates can and do change over time. Uh, the yellow line is the median for 2019, whereas the gray is uh, 2018. So, you know, generally speaking, uh, in 2019, some of those returns and rates came down compared to 2018. Uh, the next, you know, larger deals tend to require lower rates of return. Um, we typically view larger companies as uh, slightly less risky than um, smaller companies. You know, they typically have better competitive positioning, economies of scale, uh, margins, et cetera. Um, 
And then similarly, more advanced stage companies have lower required rates of returns. Makes sense given they you know, will typically have lower risk. Uh, quite, so, quite question, uh, yeah. uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. On the previous page, there's a huge reduction in how much angels are, are looking for in terms of rate of returns from 2018 to 2019. Why did it go down so much and how do you see it happening in 2020? Um, that's a good question. Um, I, uh, to, to be quite honest, I, I don't know um, off the top of my head why that specifically for angels, it, it would have uh, come down so much. Um, I think uh, the market was in uh, a good position in 2019 and, you know, investors were looking to uh, invest. Um, and so, yeah, it's specific to the angel question. I'm not sure why that would have uh, come down so much. Um, kind of to answer the second part of your question, you know, where I think they're headed, I'll, I'll touch upon that a little bit on the, this next slide here. So yeah, there were several, there were a couple questions that kind of around financing outlook and you know how uh, COVID nineteen or the impacts of COVID nineteen. Um, so you know, there's there's clearly been a drop in market sentiment um, in terms of how that'll impact financing. I think firstly, I think some terms and conditions may get tougher, uh, payment terms, collateral covenants, things of that nature, uh, and ultimately, I think you know, valuations and risk premiums will adjust as supply and demand finds, you know, kind of a new equilibrium. So on one hand, uh, you have the demand, uh, more companies need access to capital. Um, they have a reduced cash runway as business, businesses have eroded and, you know, forced to completely shut down. So that cash runway and number of months of cash on hand, it's, it's slowly starting to erode. And so they're gonna need access to capital and then on the other end, on the supply side, um, you have <clears throat> lower investors willing to invest, uh, just given a lot of the uncertainty and higher risk. So what that'll translate into is investors will aim for bargains and discounts. You know, there's enough opportunities out there. Um, so investors can be selective. Uh, and there's really no reason to overpay for investments and financing. And so I think this will translate into uh, higher rates of return, potentially uh, down rounds, i.e. offering additional shares um, at a lower price than the previous round. Um, so I, I definitely think, at least in the near to medium term, you're gonna see valuations come down a little bit and, and you know, kind of uh, rates of return uh, increase a bit. Uh, again, coming from that survey, uh, this just uh, cons uh, considers success rates of various types of financing forms. Uh, so just two things to point out here. One, you know, friends and family is still has, or has a high success rate and, and you know, pure debt, which is kind of typically lower risk. Um, you know, those types of financing forms have higher success rates, whereas your private equity, your angel investor and venture capital um, investments, which are typically more equity focused, have higher risk and, and lower success rates. Um, the second point that I just wanted to make is there's many forms of financing out there and, and you know, one should consider all options and see kind of what makes sense uh, for their particular business. Items to close a deal. So of all 
and this is specifically for the private uh, equity uh, segment, but of all private equity respondents surveyed, this is the median number of items required to close their deals. Um, so for the deals closed, so what this is saying, so for the deals closed of all the, the uh, respondents surveyed, uh, 98 of them needed a business plan, uh, or they needed to review a business plan um, compared to much smaller numbers for some other key items. And so business plans and investor presentations are incredibly, incredibly important to tell uh, the company's story, uh, which leads into our next section. Um, so there are some typical items that may be needed as, uh, uh, um, as your investor pr presentations are prepared and as you raise uh, financing. Um, I won't go over all of them, but you know, one that often gets overlooked that I wanted to highlight is just a capitalization table. Um, so, you know, for if, if anyone's not familiar, so cap tables, they show the breakdown of a company's uh, shareholders' equity, including ownership capital, common equity, um, preferred equity, warrants, convertible debt, uh, et cetera. And, and it's, it's really essential for financing decisions. So it's, it's critical that cap tables are updated and, and accurate. Um, investors need to know what they're buying, the equity out there, how they will rank, uh, their percentage ownership, the possibility they'll get diluted. So it, it's really critical that um, when seeking financing that your cap table is uh, updated and, and uh, accurate. Uh, next, so, so yeah, so, so in, in a minute here, Fraser will go into a bit of a deep dive into investor presentations. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's just a guide. The key is to try to hammer home what's uh, important to investors uh, or what they would um, want to know about your business. Um, some of the information might be basic and you might already know. Uh, others may seem simple, but might be good reminders and refreshers. Uh, and there may be certain things there in there that you may have uh, overlooked. Um, you know, the, the key is to tell the key points of uh, the business and the purpose is to uh, secure a second meeting. Um, accuracy of data is pretty important. Errors, you know, will impact the sentiment of investors, just like if we had spelling errors in our presentation or if we used the wrong two, if we used TO instead of TOO, your sentiment of our presentation might change a little bit as well. Uh, next, so, um, you know, just to kind of summarize what investors are really looking for boils down to three key areas. They're looking for a smart ass team with a kick ass product in a big ass market. And these three things are, you know, the crux of what needs to shine through in, in any of your investor presentations. Uh, this is just some of the you know, key things that uh, a VC might look for um, uh, in presentations and, and, and want to know about before deciding to invest. Uh, again, we'll get into a little bit more detail, but an exceptional team is important. Uh, track record, passion needs to be evident. Uh, we need to define the market uh, and show your product or service has compelling value. Uh, market trends, value propositions, uh, scalability are important to highlight. Uh, and finally, the go to market strategy is, is critical. Um, revenue growth is important, but you really need to focus on the detailed plans of how that will be achieved 
uh, sales and marketing plans, um, how customers will be acquired, uh, et cetera. Um, so Fraser will get into a little bit more detail here about the structure of uh, investor presentations and how some of this can shine through. And so like Marco had said, this is really a guide. Um, one, one thing to really highlight is that, for example, the, the, how you deliver the presentation is going to be very critical. We're talking right now, everything's all virtual. So we've included a fair bit more text than maybe we typically would had we been in, in the room with everyone because we want to make sure the visual aid is also captured, especially given the, the medium of delivery. Uh, and so one thing, something to really highlight is that the overall investor presentation is your opportunity to provide a compelling story. It's your opportunity to convince investors why your business, why your product is going to be successful. So you really need to be as persuasive, as factual as possible. And so while this is, this is a rule, or sorry, this is a guide, there's no hard and fast rule, but our recommendation is to keep your presentation short and sweet, 10 to 15 slides. And the first three to four slides are, are very critical. This is where you're gonna capture your audience, capture your investors, and you know, by slide five, they've really made up their mind at this point, whether they're going to invest or not to invest. And anything further is just, you know, further proving and demonstrating their point. So the first three to four slides, talk about what you've accomplished, why your product is important, and what can it do better. Another thing to keep in mind is that investor presentations are iterative, and they're, they're, you can continually improve them and change them Consider your audience, who's your, who's your investors, what's their experience, um, what sort of investees have they, or businesses have they previously invested in, and all of that to keep in mind is, is your audience and how that'll affect how you deliver your presentation. And so this is a, a rough overview, but slide one, put your title, put your company, your date, uh, keep everything as current as possible. Uh, step slide two, what does your company do? Provide the overview. What is your compelling story? Why should I as an investor care? Why should I want to invest in your business? And to really consider your presentation as an opportunity to have uninterrupted time with an investor. So deliver the most compelling information possible. And slides three and four. So if you think back to what Marco had said, the problem you're trying to solve, is there a big ass market? What are you trying to solve and how will it fit into the market? Is it worth it? Is it painful or is it expensive? Will people care if you solve this problem? And is this something that they're willing to pay for? And how, how can you demonstrate those facts? Whether it be through actual sales or if you're not at that point, what sort of industry or market data do you have to say that people will pay for this? Another thing is, is your problem, or sorry, is your solution unique? What is your competitive advantage? If there's somebody else offering a similar solution, but yours is, but yours is improved, what makes your business, your solution different? A lot of times in these presentations, uh, investors will bring up comparable transactions, uh, different companies they've invested in and say, why are you different than them? 
So you always want to be prepared to answer what makes you different, what makes your business different. Uh, so, and this will depend if you have a, a product demo or a, a beta software, if, if you can demonstrate the viability and provide people with something concrete, a little more tangible for them to absorb the information, whether it be through, through a video, through uh, touching the product, um, whatever the best way to do it. But if they can see a live demonstration of it, it will, will help provide and, and convey your point. Slide five, your technology. So what is the underlying technology? How innovative is it? Is this something transferable? Can you separate it from the business or is it you know, integrated and um, embedded within, within your uh, business offering? And how does it fit within the customer's environment? So really something that, to keep in mind here is that don't overcomplicate things or get too technical. Avoid jargon or technical language. For example, if Marco and I were talking deep into valuation theory, and I know he loves going, you know, deep into the theory and discussing the, the studies and going historical into financing rounds, but if we kept it very technical, it would be it would be difficult to convey to an audience that maybe doesn't have the same level of knowledge or at that um, in that expertise. Slide six. I'm a nerd. What can I say, Fraser? Yeah, you're a good one. <laughs> um, slide six and slide seven. So your, your go-to-market strategy and, and your business model. So who is your target market? And be very critical of this. When you talk about your target market, identify with who the user is. What are their likes? What are their preferences? Where are they located? What is their willingness to spend? Willingness to pay for a solution? So be very, very detailed and very granular in your thought about who your target market is, because if you say your target market is everyone over 35 years old or, you know, teenagers between 13 and 18, it's going to be very challenging for someone to, to invest in the business that has such a broad target market that hasn't truly thought about all of the details of the buyers. Um, how will you acquire customers? How will you address this market? Uh, other things in what is your business model? What is your, your revenue strategy? How will you sell your product? How will you distribute it? And what are your expenses, your overhead? How will you manage these as you scale? Slide eight, talking about your competition. So who are your competitors and what makes your product and strategy? What makes you distinct? And then these are some uh, questions that uh, venture capitalists have asked in the past. And, um, you know, what, who, who do you compete with today? They're really asking, how are you different? When will you, or who will you compete with tomorrow? Is, are there possible competitors who will enter the market? Are, they, are there bigger players who can enter the market faster and better than you can? And would they be compelled to? And so really the, this, this owns in on how are you, all the questions here are owned in on how are you different and how is your business more tailored to address this problem. Going back to Marco's slide, uh, the, the management team. This is, this is crucial and this is integral. Companies, investors want to invest in a business that has a solid management team, knows that they are passionate about the product, that they have 
the expertise necessary to bring it to market that they you know they have the technical competencies they have the marketing competencies and uh, you know, whatever else they need to bring this market and scale it to business so who who is involved what what expertise what is their background that they have and if there is a gap in um, in talent, how will you fill that role? How will you fill that void as you scale? And so slide 10 will be projections. And something to keep in mind here is that this is really just a financial summary. Make sure the data is readable, make sure it's accurate, make sure that it's, it's simple. It's just a financial summary. If an investor wants to know more, you can by all means provide more data and provide uh, more, more details for them to answer the questions. But this is to show that you've thought through where the business will be in the next month, the next 10 months, next year, and, and so forth. So it's really, how will you bring this business and how will you scale it? And so one thing to keep in mind is you might have revenues projecting at a, at a hockey stick growth, but our expense is going to remain flat or is it more realistic that your expenses also <laughs> Slide 10 and 11, this will be your milestones. So how much money have you raised in the past? How much are you asking for? And what will you do with the money? Be as tangible and as, as thought out uh, as possible. Where will this money go to? Is it, is it towards salaries? Is it towards a prototype? Is it towards um, some other stream that will help the business grow and expand? And then lastly, provide, provide a summary. Why is your company important? Talk about the, the key highlights, why the business is worth investing in, who the management team is, and what makes your business, your product, or your solution that much better than the, than the competition. So then I'll segue into to questions and we'll address the questions we've received first and then open it up if anyone has any other questions. So the, the first one we received was about validating potential sales. And what I'll say here is, my interpretation of the question is, the best way to validate potential sales is using historicals. Is have you, have you had a budget in the past? Have you met them? Have you exceeded them? What has been the context? Uh, other things to consider is industry and economic research. If your industry is projected to decline by 50% in the next year, but you're projecting 25% growth, well, there's a bit of a disconnect in, in why is it that the industry is going to decline while your business is going to expand. So making sure you've thought through those questions and what I'll call it as contrary. So you believe the business is gonna only expand, but what sort of points do you have to the contrary and how will, how will you address them? Make sure you have a sound business model, a sound go-to-market strategy, how you'll bring it to fruition, what your pricing model will be like, what are your costs and your expenses and how will you manage them? And do you have the right talent in place to make those sales realized? Do you have a sales team in place? Do you have a, do you have a director of sales? Do you have a, an effective marketing team and a, and a strategy to market your product? And then, um, so I'll leave it at that for that one. If anyone uh, 
wants any further questions or any, any detail, feel free to feel free to ask. And in terms of questions. Sorry, I was just gonna jump in. I think that was uh, Desi's question. So I just wanted to make sure that that was answered or if Desi had any other um, questions. Yeah, the uh, second question is, um, Almost like real estate. Is there a place to look online for what the value of different transactions are? Can you find companies that have been bought and sold and, and find that what, what they've been bought and sold for? So in, in terms of uh, the, the public space, that, that's a bit easier to find transactions. Um, one thing at EY, we use a proprietary, sorry, not proprietary, we license this a software called Capital IQ. And in there, they have all the transactions detailed and it's, it's very it's it's a platform for investors or business valuators to to pull off all these transactions very easily and very readily otherwise public companies do have to disclose transactions in their financial statements it's just the one challenge with that is it can be a bit tedious and bit uh call it accounting jargon to read through so if, if you have there are technology offerings out there. One of them, the biggest one being S&P Capital IQ or um, which is what we use and to validate or find comparable transactions and data. Yeah, um, I, I'd say uh, I'd echo what Fred said. It's not the only one. Uh, another good one is business valuation uh, resources. Uh, it is subscription based. Um, but it's got, um, and, and particularly it gives good information on transactions of uh, private companies across various uh, industries. Um, so like Fraser said, there's a couple, um, you know, uh, platforms where you would need to pay for, and then um, public companies do need to disclose. But a lot, of, a lot of the good, strong databases with transactions, uh, you would need to pay for. Thanks, Ant. Thank you very much. So then in terms of uh, questions two and three, hopefully well, we cover this in our presentation about creating a, an effective pitch deck and what really needs to be contained. And then we've talked very high level and if the, anyone has any further questions about company valuations, we're happy to, to answer those or feel free to reach out to Marco and I afterwards if you want. If you want a bit to know a bit more about valuations and also you know, maybe the nuances of your business and how the valuation will, will impact or be impacted by uh, your business. Um, so number uh, four here, how do you value a company with uh, no physical assets, such as software companies? Uh, to, to that, I'd say, you know, typically you would still use one of those approaches that Fraser had outlined, i.e. a cost, market, or income approach. And again, the appropriate approach will come down uh, to the stage of the company and the specifics of the company. But what I will say is, you know, for a company like that, where there's no physical assets and, you know, it's a software company, um, the value of the intangible assets, in particular, you know, the technology uh, and their attributes becomes key in terms of um, trying to value the company. So, you know, is the technology proprietary? Is it patented? What's the life of those patents? Um, what's the life of the technology? Is it um, going to, uh, you know, become obsolete in a few years or are you going to be able to 
uh, use that technology for future generations or future uh, versions. Um, you know, what are the competitors and other softwares out there? Uh, so all those kind of considerations will um, be considered in valuing uh, the company. Um, but again, it'll kind of come down to still using one of those uh, approaches. Approaches. Similarly, um, uh, or, or one other nuance in terms of valuing uh, companies with no physical assets, I'd say they often have um, higher risk or, or kind of higher discount rates required, uh, just given that lower um, or lack of tangible asset backing. So there's a higher downside risk because if the business goes a little bit more south, uh, there's an inability to liquidate assets um, and things of, of that nature. Uh, the next one. Oh, Sorry, yeah. I was going to just go back. I know that that was Willie's question, and I just wanted to make sure that that was answered, or if um, you had any more, if you had anything else to ask Marco or Fraser. He says he's all good. And the other one, um, Akilan just came in with, I think it's related to this, but how do you evaluate the SaaS companies at the pre-revenue pre stage? with freemium users and just starting to make revenue in thousands? Yeah, so, um, you know, coming back to kind of some of the stages of development. So, um, you know, if it's just starting to make revenue, you know, we're in the situation where obviously a multiple of uh, revenue isn't appropriate as kind of you know, Dave had, had been pointing out uh, earlier. So you're into a situation where, well, can you use a multiple of active users? Does that make sense? Um, if not, you know, you start to look at kind of a cost approach. So, you know, how much did it cost you to develop the software? Uh, and then start to think about um, kind of uh, valuing the business in terms of the cost to develop it and perhaps a, a markup or return on um, the time or the investment. Um, again, it'll come down to the nuances of the business, but those are kind of uh, some of the high-level approaches that we start to consider um, for a business with either no revenue, but it has users, or kind of just starting to make some revenue. I hope that answered the question. Okay, thanks. Yeah, actually, ma'am, we haven't paid a lot because uh, we have employees works for Sweat Equity. So we couldn't evaluate based on the money we spent other than that we have spent the money on the consultants and marketing budgets. Yeah, uh, to that though, I would say, so when we say kind of cost to develop, not necessarily just um, the out, like the physical cost or cash outlays that cash outlays that you guys would have spent, but you know, you have uh, developers and engineers spending a thousand hours to develop it just because, you know, they're, working for sweat equity and do not physically expending anything aside from consultant fees. If I were to come and needed to buy that software, well, I would need to pay a team of developers um, a thousand hours at whatever rate. So that's kind of, you know, some of the, that would be the cost, albeit you did not kind of explicitly spend it, but it, that would kind of still be the cost to redevelop that software. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Uh, moving along here to five. So how will the COVID-19 crisis affect valuations in the investment landscape in general? Um, 
so, you know, I, I think it'll impact companies and industries differently, you know, <laughs> like Fraser showed, it seems like Zoom is, is doing well, but we briefly touched upon this earlier, but just generally speaking, um, valuations are likely to come down for the majority of companies. Um, again, I think you have a higher demand of companies requiring access to capital given their cash burn, yet a lower uh, supply of investors willing to invest. Um, and then just more broadly speaking, you know, you have investor sentiment down and there's just, you know, we all know there's an unprecedented amount of uncertainty surrounding the economy, when it will open up, how supply chains are impacted, um, consumer confidence and, and how discretionary spending will be impacted. So, um, you know, if you were to look at analyst forecasts and estimates out there in the market for, you know, for, for public companies or, or the economy in general, like the, the bandwidth of these estimates are, are larger than it's, it's ever been. So, you know, I think the just uncertainty around uh, the economy in this situation just leads to uh, a lot higher risk and therefore, you know, higher discount rates and reducing and, and ultimately translates into uh, reducing valuations a little bit. Sorry, I know that was Lisa's question. So Lisa, is that all answered? Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks so much for that, Marco. And um, I thought you guys kind of covered it pretty comprehensively during the presentation too. So thank you for that. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you, appreciate it. Uh, and then one more here before we open up to see if there's any others. Uh, what's your perspective on accessing capital for pre-commercial companies given the COVID-19 crisis? Um, again, I think we briefly touched upon it, but uh, I think the takeaway is it'll likely be a little bit more challenging. Um, and I think, you know, various types of financing uh, may want to be considered. Um, you know, if, if more detail specific to one situation is kind of, you know, you want to discuss that, like we could kind of set up a discussion or, or facilitate something with either us or, um, you know, someone from our corporate finance team or something. But I, I think the key takeaway is, is yeah, it'll become a little bit more uh, challenging in uh, going forward. Sorry, and I know that was uh, Ron's question. So I just wanted to make sure that that was covered for you. Yeah, I think that's fine. Thank you very much. Perfect. And um, I actually had one more question that came in last night. So I didn't, I hadn't sent it to you guys. And uh, this is Raggy's question here. I hope I said that properly, but it was how to assign a valuation to a high potential pre-revenue business. You could touched on it a little bit, but. Yeah, um, so, you know, pre-revenue, it could be, I guess the stage uh, that it's in, uh, could vary, like is it just an idea right now um, that has the potential to, um, you know, be a, or translate into a strong business? Uh, so are we at that stage, more of the, the seed stage, uh, or are we more at the startup stage where it's pre-revenue, but there's a product in place, a prototype, a business plan, and a business model, and it's more uh, about um, kind of executing on that plan to generate revenue. So I'd say, Again, it kind of depends a little bit the stage of the company, but if it's pre-revenue, um, we're looking at kind of something in the, in the realm of, well, does it make sense to use a cost approach and, and how much time was spent to develop uh, the idea so far? 
um, uh, or potentially a market approach if there's users or um, other attributes of the business or technology that um, could be used to develop a market approach. And Raggy, does that um, answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. Perfect. At this time, is there or does anybody have any questions that you would like to ask? So we can do one of two things is you can just unmute yourself and, and let you know you can chat it to myself. Or I know that there's the function there where you can raise your hand if you the reactions across the bottom, if that made it easier. Nope. This is the cricket soundbite now. <laughs> okay. So if there are no other questions, I'll let you guys go to the, the next slide here. Um, it's, so, thank you. <laughs> yeah, th thank you very much for, uh, for everybody for attending. Thank you to um, oh, here, put myself back on here. Um, thank you very much to both Fraser and Marco for spending the time to answer some of the questions. I think on the next slide, you had your contact information. I thought I'd, I had seen that. If not, I can send that out. Um, it was uh, Jigna, I believe it said to me that if people are interested, here we go, right back to the beginning. Um, if people are interested in getting the, uh, the slides that you can contact Marco and Fraser directly. If you have any more questions to also contact them. Their contact information is here on the bottom. If you did not get it, please feel free to reach out to myself and I can send it to you, no problem. But I really like to thank Ian Y for your support of the organization and helping us help several businesses. Through the month of May, we are moving our peer groups online because we know that this is, uh, this is not ending still and they're open to anybody. So please do not hesitate to join us. May is in, is in the works right now and we'll be getting those up shortly. So I will make sure that the, uh, the peer groups are online and what we are going to be covering is there. We have next Wednesday, it's not up at this point, but it will be later today. We're doing um, kind of a lunch and learn program where we're talking about the government relief programs. We have, uh, Frank Alotta from SBLR, he'll be addressing those. We've got uh, Dominic Connick from Webs Depot. He's going to be talking about cybersecurity. As we know that companies are being hit, that's up about 40%. Um, either personally and professionally, people are being hit. And we also have Peter McCabe from ProLink, and he's going to be addressing um, your accounts receivables and how you can still go about and have those covered. So please do not hesitate to join us. Thank you very much for joining us today. And here's Marco and Fraser's contact information. And if you do need it, please join out or reach out to me. One other thing is this is being recorded. It will be under uh, podcasts on our website. So if you want to have an opportunity to listen back, if there were points that you had missed please feel free to do so. And we wish everybody a fantastic day. Take care. Uh, thanks, Kelly. Thanks. And uh, thanks to the whole Tech Connects team for uh, having us. And uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to Fraser and myself. Uh, any questions? Excellent. Thanks. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you.